everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a weekly program we produce throughout the academic year in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding National Liberal Arts College. In this sixth episode of season number five, we'll hear from theater professor Todd Quick. He's directing the first play of the 2021-2022 season. The play is called Black Mountain, which also happens to be the U.S. premiere of the play as well. Then we'll learn about Gryphons, Gorlocks, and Gusties, and other creatures that have become nicknames of NCAA Division III schools. It's all in a new book by 1984 Mammoth alumnus Chris Pio. Mama's first theater event of the 2021-2022 school year is the 8th edition of Fusion Fest, which is being held on October 2 as part of Classics Day 5. The college's first theater production of the school year will be from October 7 through the 10th. That's when the play Black Mountain will be presented at the Fusion Theater. For showtimes and tickets, check it out on the calendar in the News and Events section of the Monmouth College website under the Events Calendar, and that's monmouthcollege.edu news. Black Mountain is a thriller written by the Welsh playwright Brad Birch. It's being directed at Monmouth by theater professor Todd Quick. Todd says it's a play that will give audience members chills, but he can't say much more beyond that. The play is about a relationship that is at a breaking point. It's about betrayal and about people seeking revenge. I can't tell you any more than that. You have to come see it. Uh, But it's about how we respond when we are hurt and the different ways we can process that and either move on from it or sometimes not. Todd can talk about the fact that the Mammoth production of Black Mountain will be the first time the play will be produced in the United States. It is. Uh, It's a pretty exciting opportunity. It's not often in a, in a small department like ours that we get to produce uh, the U.S. premiere of such an exciting new work. Uh, but yes, this will be the first time this play has been performed in America. It premiered in England, I want to say 2018, and had a couple of uh, revivals with different professional companies across the U.K., but this will be the first time it's come across the pond. It's also the first time that Todd has produced a U.S. premiere of a play. It's also an example of Idaho's loss being Monmouth's gain. Typically, when I direct shows, uh, and this is a secret, so don't tell anyone, um, I tend to direct shows that I have some history with. Uh, In the spring, I'm doing Godspell, and that was one of my first musicals as an actor. Uh, I often direct things that I have performed in, and this is a play that I've never even seen. It's never been done here, so it's uh, an exciting new challenge for me to direct something that's only existed in 
my imagination so far. I came across this play first when I was uh, working at the University of Idaho. There was a, a British faculty member there who was familiar with the play and had proposed it for their season, and it got voted down, and it blew my mind. Because when I read the play, I got chills. I had never been scared from reading a play before, ever. I didn't know you could make a play that was like a thriller. It works in the movies. I didn't realize it works in books. I didn't realize a play could do that, that could have that effect on me. So I immediately thought, well, now I need to know if this could work on an audience. I need to know if we could, if it translates as well onto the stage as it does reading it. So when I found out that the University of Idaho was passing, I instantly sort of filed it away, made sure to hold on to my copy of the script to look for an opportunity to direct it myself. When I got to Monmouth, saw the Fusion Theater, I thought this is the perfect venue. This small, intimate space for a small three-character psychological thriller like this. It was the perfect alignment. A one-act play... Black Mountain features three characters, all of whom Todd says are quite strong. Three characters, uh, which is a great opportunity and a huge challenge for actors to to carry a show like that. Uh, But I'm really lucky I have three really outstanding performers carrying this show. Uh, Allie Bryan, a senior theater major uh, who's been on stage for us countless times every possible variety of roles and I've been you know lucky to work with Allie since uh, since their freshman year and then we have two upperclassmen who are non-theater majors uh, Caitlin Fisher and Elijah Lind who are playing Paul and Rebecca the married couple that's at the heart of this betrayal and it's been so much fun because well Caitlin and Elijah are a real-life couple so getting to see how that real-life closeness that they share has enhanced their work together on the stage has been a lot of fun to watch. It's a tight 80 minutes right now, so it's... um, But within that 80 minutes, I think there's probably 16 or 17 scenes, so it moves quick. It's a really quickly paced show, uh, and there are so many little twists and surprises the 80 minutes go by really quickly. This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. We're visiting with theater professor Todd Quick. He's producing the U.S. premiere of the play Black Mountain. It will be performed October 7th through the 10th down at the Fusion Theater. Black Mountain will be performed on a very sparse stage. Without a lot of scenery, Todd says the lights and the music play an even more important role, almost becoming a fourth character. It's basically an empty space. We've got a few black acting cubes on the floor, black curtain. But other than that, it's about the lighting and the sound. So Doug uh, Rankin, with an assist from uh, junior theater major Emma Wolstadter, has been creating a beautiful visual world with light for us. And our junior theater major, Gabriella Madu, has been doing wonderful work with sound design for this show. And we're trying, we're experimenting with 
a different style of sound design. Typically we have sound as pre-show, post-show, and then to cover the scene changes. But with this one, we're taking a more cinematic approach. So we have underscoring an atmospheric sound underneath the scene, even while the dialogue is happening. So we just started introducing that in rehearsal a couple of days ago, and already you can feel how it's sort of gotten under the skin of the actors and really helped propel their performances to the next level. And the, and the playwright even says right at the beginning, he said, uh, there's no set, there's only you know two or three props. He said, the world is created by sound and light. And so we've really tried to embrace that. Uh, which has been an exciting challenge for all of us. It's a new way of working that we haven't gotten to do before, um, but that's what makes it worthwhile, that it's a, it's a little scary to do something so different, uh, but it's been a really rewarding process so far. Ironically, the first time Black Mountain will be performed in the United States, it will also mark the final time the Fusion Theater is home to a Mammoth Theater production. It's sort of bittersweet. Um, when I interviewed for the position here at Monmouth, one of the things that really enticed me and excited me was seeing the Fusion Theater. I love a flexible black box space. It's such a great environment to create theater. Uh, this will be the, the farewell performance for the Fusion Theater. Um, we won't be using it as a performance space uh, in the future. So I think it's fitting that we have sort of an ending and a beginning. So we have a brand new American play or American premiere of a British play as a way to sort of say goodbye to this this great little experimental theater so hopefully everyone will come out and uh give the theater a proper send-off and todd says looking back on his decision he made the right one to become the first person to produce black mountain in the united states yes this has been honestly i can say without reservation this has been one of the most enjoyable production experiences that I've had in my career as a director, um, which I think just is a testament to the people that are involved, right? When you have the right group of actors and designers and crew members who are all there with just, you know, an open heart, an open mind, who are positive and prepared and professional, pardon the alliteration, uh, it just makes it a fun experience. Everybody shows up, works really, really hard, and through the hard work, we have a lot of fun too. But everybody is sort of unified in the mindset that it's through the work that we have such a good time. Uh, and it's been just an absolute pleasure to work with all these people. That's theater professor Todd Quick. He's producing the U.S. premiere of Black Mountain. It will be performed October the 7th through the 10th down at the Fusion Theater. You can read more about it in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website, monmouthcollege.edu news. And to order tickets, check it out on the Monmouth College calendar, monmouthcollege.edu calendar. Listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College, I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. 
Have you ever wondered what's in a college's nickname or behind it or the reason it was created? Well, Mammoth alumnus Chris Pio of the class of 1984 has discovered quite a lot is behind some of the nicknames when it comes to NCAA Division III schools. You can read all about it in Chris's great new book, Gryphons, Gorlocks, and Gusties, A History of NCAA Division III Nicknames and Mascots. Chris says his new book is full of interesting stories. In fact, 450 interesting stories. Uh, it is a collection of 450 stories uh, from Division Three institutions all across the country. There are 439 active D3 programs, and, and I picked 11 that just recently closed or consolidated in the last uh, five years. Uh, and that's really dated from when I really started uh, writing the book. Uh, there have been uh, a group of schools that have closed, but I decided to include them as well. So it's actually 450 total. And uh, it, it just tries to describe uh, the evolution, uh, the origin of uh, teams' athletic nicknames, why they chose to be called what they're called, and and then uh, a description of their mascot. Uh, most of the schools uh, are represented by some type of tangible object, a, a costume or an animal or a person. Uh, but there are those that that use graphic images and logos as well. So uh, either uh, either one uh, that is appropriate. I, I just tried to uh, describe them as best I could uh, just in researching school, school websites and, and other resources. There have been reference books like this in the past, but they chose to concentrate, Duane, on a lot of the big schools, Division I universities, state universities. And so Division Three, obviously, that's where I went to school. It's where I coached. It's what I've been involved with for 40 years. And so I decided to write a book explicitly for Division Three audience, uh, only about Division Three. And so uh, if, if, uh, if people are interested in sports history, trivia, facts, and figures, uh, I think there's something in the book for everybody. Chris says he can trace his interest in the subject of college mascots and nicknames back to the late 1980s. At Monmouth College in 1988, when I became the SID, uh, there wasn't an SID back then. Uh, so I asked Coach Glasgow if I could do the job. Uh, that was before the days of fax machines and, and internet and everything like that. So I really was the first uh, full-time uh, SID at the college. Uh, and so between coaching for 20 plus years and sports information for nine, uh, that was my first exposure really to uh, nicknames and mascots on a, on a national level. And so uh, the, the idea for the book has really been rattling around in my head for about 20 plus years. Uh, but I really started writing it about four years ago in 2017. So the idea has been there for a long time. It just stayed dormant. Uh, but I've had a lifelong interest in sports dating back to you know growing up with my dad and, and watching TV sports and and uh, and then playing sports and, and being a college athlete. So it just kind of got to the point where I, I was really curious and, and fascinated by uh, by the, the subject. And uh, again, like I said, four years ago, I got hurt uh, in 2017 and, and I finally had some free time during my rehab uh, and physical therapy to to put some thoughts down on paper. And once I started writing, it kind of took off from there. In his new book, Chris discovered that Hawks, Eagles, and Lions are the most common team nicknames among NCAA Division III schools. There are, are, are many schools that go by Hawks. Some, you know, there's River Hawks, War Hawks, Seahawks, Dewhawks, Cohawks. 
but some form of, of Hawk, there's a 17 division three schools that, that use Hawk as part of their nickname. So that's the most popular, followed by Eagles and Lions. But with 450 schools, it's not surprising that Chris came across some strange and unusual nicknames throughout the NCAA Division Three. Oh, there's a there's a ton of them. Like I said, it's 450 stories, so there's quite a few. But uh, uh, the ones that I was most fascinated with uh, were the ones that had the the unusual twist or the the the, the, the connection that you really didn't expect. Uh, there's a school out in Maine, Bowdoin College. Uh, they're the Polar Bears. Uh, and uh, they are the polar bears because one of their graduates, uh, Admiral Robert Peary, discovered the North Pole. Uh, there's a school in uh, in Minnesota, Concordia College up in Moorhead, and they're called the Cobbers. They have a mascot that's an actual anthropomorphic corn cob. Uh, and I thought it was just because of corn in Minnesota, but it's actually uh, it actually dates back to the settlers of the area, uh, the Norwegians versus the Swedes. It's a it's an insult. Cobber was an insult, uh, and uh, the the uh, Norwegian immigrants took it as a as a as a compliment, and they took a they, they twisted it, and so Concordia Cobbers. So that's a, an odd one. There's a school out in Maryland that's called the Green Terror. It has a, a mascot now that looks like a furry green dragon. Uh, they're the Green Terror because uh, of uh, a nickname that was given to them by a newspaper reporter back in the early 1920s. Um, so there's I mean I could go on and on. There's a there, there's a whole list of, of uh, weird names. Uh, and mascots, uh, many of which are, are complemented by photos in the book. I tried to pick a, a good uh, mix of uh, or a good variation just to show the, the, the diversity and the variation uh, with the pictures in the book. So they're not all eagles and lions and hawks and tigers, the ones that you would commonly think of. But uh, those are some ones that, that really uh, that, that stand out. There's a school out in Oregon, Pacific University. Uh, they're called the Boxers because uh, a missionary student of theirs back in the 1890s donated a statue from his years in China. Uh, so it, the statue is called the Boxer because uh, of its connection to the Chinese Boxer Rebellion. They're the only Division Three school in the country with a statue with an actual physical object rather than a costume or a person or an animal. So again, there's just a there's just a, a, a long list of, of unusual backstories and, and really uncommon names and and uh, mascots that go along with it. That's Chris Pio. He's a 1984 Monmouth graduate, former sports information director at the college, and also a former collegiate coach. Most recently, he's the author of a great new book called Gryphons, Gorlocks, and Gusties, a history of NCAA Division III nicknames and mascots. You can order his book on Amazon.com. You can also read more about it in the News and Events section of the Monmouth College website, and that URL is monmouthcollege.edu slash news. And that's going to be a 30 for this sixth edition of Monmouth College's 1853 podcast of the 2021-2022 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. So long, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Have a nice day and stay healthy.